Welcome back to another episode of Holistic Healers. For those who are new, welcome to the show. My name is Morgan Murkowski. I am the host. And for returners, welcome back. Thank you again for being here, subscribing, following along. It's good to have you back. Um, today, I invited a guest who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is an expert with PTSD, trauma, and has certifications, has expertise in military psychology. She is a psychotherapist, speaker, coach, CEO. Uh, from what I've seen, CBT, DBT, somatic works, EMDR, kind of all in her wheelhouse. Uh, she does TED-Ed videos, podcasts, you know, she just does it all. Uh, so I want to welcome special guest, Joelle Rabo Melitis. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I am good. I have been um, lucky enough to participate in the TED Women Global Conference, and Jane Fonda was the speaker today, and just mind blowing. So I'm, I'm like on this energy high right now. <laughs> How did it go? It was. It's amazing. I mean, it's just they had, uh, you know, they have really powerful women CEOs and from all different venues and. And it's just been, it's been a really enriching, amazing experience to meet women from all over the globe, especially in, in this day and age. So uplifting for sure. Yeah. It's like an honor to have you, I guess. But. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you talk a little, you know, share a little about yourself and, you know, what brings you on to the show today? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Where to start? <laughs> so I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and I have a trauma clinic in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. And so we see people in California and now we're licensed in several other states. So we um, have a growing practice, which has been uh, amazing. And again, in, in the last few years, it's been amazing. I have a great team and we really focus on working with trauma and trauma from a solution focused post-traumatic growth perspective. So this piece about and so what not and so what who cares about it, but so what do we want to do? How does that go? How does that define us? You know, how is it going to shape who we are today? How do we stay present with our trauma and our experience um, without this toxic positivity? Right. Mm -hmm. And also without checking it and pretending it didn't happen. And and so sounds super simple and in a lot of ways simple concepts and really difficult to practice and so we start there with people and we meet them where they're at and uh and it's something that i love doing and and i'm really just blessed to have this great team and, and a growing business and how long have you been in this work for so this is my second career and okay. i um, started in 2008 opened the practice in 2011 and then started working with military and sort of elite personality types whether it was c-suite in silicon valley um, professional athletes and um, military in 2013 and that's really the focus that we've we've had and i've had ever since okay and it's all trauma work with them or is it a variety at this point, it's a variety, um, mostly trauma work. And I think a lot of it is we're redefining what trauma means. And so it isn't this notion that 
it has to be something that is catastrophic, right? And and life-changing. Trauma can be micro traumas and, and little things that we experience that build up over time. It can be burnout. It can be grief and loss, which I know you specialize in, right? It, it, there's so many things that define trauma. And so originally it was, it was this one track model of trauma and PTSD. And now it's really focused on things are traumatic and and that doesn't necessarily change who we are it absolutely shapes our experience juxtaposed to something like a car accident or witnessing something horrific which is a different kind of change um, also changing who we are so looking at trauma with a different lens i think and really you know my work has been around PTSD, de-disordered, right? When it affects your daily life and living versus PTS, post-traumatic stress. And what does that actually mean? And now looking at complex post-traumatic stress or complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is more relationship-based, right? It's those little micro-traumas. If, you know, a child's grown up with a narcissistic parent, right? They could have complex post-traumatic stress, or if they have multiple traumas, which is pretty common for people now, um, where they've had something horrific happen, they've lost someone, and then they've gone through the pandemic, maybe they've lost a job, They uh, going through all of these things, they stack, right? And so things become very complex. So looking at this from, it affects your daily life and living, that doesn't mean that you're not functioning. And when we look at this D disordered, we're really talking about how somebody functions. And so for me saying, well, of course, somebody's going to have a post-traumatic stress response if they've gone through trauma. Why wouldn't they? Right. Our body does what it's designed to do. Our brain does what it's designed to do. It, it actually all works perfectly. Um, and for some people that halts their daily life and living and they are not functioning and for other people, they function just fine and yet things don't feel good, right? They don't feel right to them. And so looking at looking at it from that lens of, well, of course people are gonna experience stress. How can we decipher then just regular, tra- I don't wanna say regular, um, quotes, trauma versus complex trauma uh, versus just, you know, all this other, like maybe small T trauma, I've heard that before. Um, how do you define it? You know, I really look at it from trauma is in the eyes of the beholder, because what my traumas are and my PTSD is, is definitely not somebody else's, right? And it is very individualized. What's traumatic to me may not be traumatic to somebody else and vice versa. So really starting there, of, I always start with why, why do you think that it's traumatic? And that's not meant to be dismissive or demeaning or disrespectful, any of those things. It's tell me what about this thing or this situation has changed you. And people will say, you know, I don't sleep. You know, I think about it all the time. My eating has changed. I isolate. I don't get out like I used to. Um, I'm afraid to go out now after, you know, post pandemic kinds of behaviors, right? Um, You know, the news scares me. I can't detach from social media. So all of these things, right, can be trauma responses. And some may resonate with you and some may not, right? So it's trying to figure out what's going on for each individual person and what are things that we can change, right? I'm I'm somebody that, 
believe it or not, my my bachelor's degree is in political science and philosophy. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. It sounded like a good plan. Um, you know, and I, I, and, and I love politics and I love news until about 10 years ago. And I went, okay, this has become toxic for me personally. And I've learned now that I just can't, I can't do it. If it's been a rough day, I have to unplug. Otherwise I go to bed angry. I wake up angry. I don't sleep. And, you know, sometimes that is a trauma response because I'm responding to something I've seen on the news that affects me very deeply and in a personal way, right? So it's triggering. And then there are other times where it makes me mad on a, a human, you know, <laughs> as a human, yeah. you know, and, and I can't turn that off. And so I know that when I'm in my trauma brain, you know, being too tied to the news or social media is not a good thing. And when I'm not in my trauma brain, having too much of that influence can push me into that zone. So really having to watch how I interact with media has become important for me personally. So so starting with people there, right? Let's just figure out what your daily life and living looks like. Where could we make some small changes before we go down this rabbit hole of tell me about your, you know, tell me your story in narrative terms, we call it a story. It's not a dismissive term, right? So, That's you know, so funny, you say you study political science, because I did the same thing. <laughs> I, yeah, I studied political science in college. And I mean, for a while, it was interesting. But like you said, like, especially I think even with the pandemic, I think it's really polarized people. And I mean, psychology is about, you know, bringing people together. So I was like, I don't know where I fit into this anymore. But I loved like the emotional appeal of politics and like how emotions impact people and persuade people to do things. And I was like, oh, emotions are still there. I like psych stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for me now, it's the I notice my own, you know, dysregulation. Like I am so... <laughs> I have such a difficult time unplugging and working on my emotional regulation skills when I'm listening to it because it's so polarized, um, you know, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's this, you know, love hate relationship with it right now. And, and especially the way the world is, is responding to so many things and, and women in particular. So it's been hard for me to, to separate myself out sometimes. Right. And so I a lot of times I just use that as a sounding board and I'll ask people, do you find like you're having a hard time, too? And some people are like, no, that doesn't bother me. And other people are like, yeah. And so it, it's it's a good launching point to have a conversation. Um, but yeah, I didn't you know, I was I this is my second career. I was a dancer by training professionally. I was a ballerina for a long time and I danced over 20 years professionally. Wow. Um, and had a career ending injury. Um, and so, you know, my, the story really is, is my father said, I'll pay for your air quotes dance habit. If, um, you go to college and I went, what could I study? Political science sounds good. And, you know, um, that is the story. And finally, you know, my dad went, you know, I'm tired of paying for degrees because I was starting to rack them up. And, and he just said, go, you know, go to New York, go to LA, go do something, but I'm not paying for any more school. Um, and then paid for a master's degree. So thanks, dad. But um, <laughs> yeah, so and then and then ended up in the world of psychology, 
because I had a great therapist. I had no background. I had no understanding in it. Uh, I just, I had a really good therapist and I had a really terrible one. And the really terrible one drove me to this place of, I don't ever want somebody to go through that. It was so awful. Um, and that was traumatizing. And my therapist at the time went, why don't you go to psych school? And I laughed. I remember thinking like, that is the, like me, you know who you're talking to, right? Like that is a terrible idea. <laughs> and, and you know, here I am, right? So what did you specifically study then in your doctorate program? Yeah, so I was looking at, um, so my master's was, funny enough, holistic counseling psychology. And so I had that third year of holistic studies and somatic work and got to work with Peter Levine and um, just did some really, really cool stuff. And then went to do more clinical work and more research-based work on trauma, broad-spectrum eating disorders and addiction. So remember, I'm a ballerina, so we can draw the dots here. And again, you know, therapist, I love her to death. After, you know, 20 years, she still is willing to talk to me. Um, Wow. You know, uh, yeah, it's a longstanding relationship. Um, But, you know, again, it was like that, that is not the place for you you know, that that's going to be triggering. It's going to, you know, open up your own wounds, not, not a good place for you. Um, that was true to some extent. And, and yet it was one of those things where I think, you know, I, and I joke with my students and, and my, my associates now, and I'm like, look, only people that want to go find themselves to heal, go to psych school, because who else would do that much therapy? So I, you know, um, so it started it started there with the more i was on this road to healing and the more raw i felt and i didn't feel good a good is not the i wouldn't describe that time in my life as being positive hopeful or good it was definitely growth and it was uncomfortable and the more work i did on that the more I wanted to know more, right? And so I just, it kept driving me into this career that I had no no intention of doing and then fell into it and, and loved it. And so I'm really, really lucky. I, I loved what I did as a dancer and I, I love what I do now as a therapist, um, but it wasn't the plan. So people ask me like, oh, did you plan on having this? Yeah you know, clinic and how did you do it? I'm like, you know, this was not, this was not a plan. This was like, I tripped over my own, you know, literally with, with all pun intended. (laughs) I'm curious then, because you mentioned the holistic stuff in your masters and obviously this is the holistic healers podcast. Um, So how has that intersected in your work so far? Yeah. So a lot of it, especially with trauma, so much of it is, is total it's a total experience mind body and spirit and we can define spirit however we want as individuals right some some people that's their religious connection other people that's their connection to their own self right or something you know bigger than themselves it could be a family connection so so spirit just thinking about our own um connection in the world right and trauma affects us on all of these different levels. And so really now, especially working with people who are very linear in their thinking, um, that that's not, that's not a comfort for them, right? So we start talking about, okay, well, 
where do you feel it? Where do you feel trauma, right? Like, let's talk about just how we breathe. Um, and I have a very interesting way I teach military and first responders that, and we could talk about that later. Um, and then, you know, okay, so how are you holding it in your body, right? Because my guess is if you take a breath, you're going to realize that your shoulders are, are all the way up in your ears, right? And you're completely clenched and tense, which makes sense if for military, right? Um, you're in a dangerous situation. Of course, your whole body's going to be tense, right? And learning how to relax is very difficult because I'm on hyper hyper awareness, right? I'm on call all, all the, the time. time. Yep. <laughs> so I'm 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 holding my body that way, and people don't see that as a traumatic response, right? So sometimes it's just where are you at in your body right now? Um, sometimes it's on the emotional side, right? Um, how are you feeling? You know, what does that what does that emotion look like? So many people are disconnected or they feel numb. Um, and I know for me that really resonated doing my work of, I felt numb all the time. So it was like, how do you feel? And I'm like, well, I think I'm happy, but I don't know where in my body I feel that. Um, and then what's that connection to others or connection to spirituality, however you define that. So we have this holistic, right? Idea of how we connect in the world. And so breaking it down for people, I think, so they understand, and then there's specific, models that we use. So we use EMDR, you know, eye movement, rapid desensitization, which is a reprocessing component. We use somatic therapies, which are all about feeling things in the body, not necessarily talk-based therapies, and then skills-based, which is, you mentioned CBT and DBT. So these more skills or structured-based thought concepts of, of how we re realign our thinking. And so I think the perfect model is what's perfect for that person in that moment. And it's some combination of the three, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, I mean, this is from currently, cause I'm in my doctorate program right now, but we we've talked a lot about being able to be adaptable and being flexible. And like you said, it just, you know, for one person it can work. And then for other piece, uh, for another person, it just, may not be in their mindset and they may not resonate with it at all. And, you know, you just got to be able to um, move with that. And, and it's, and it's hard. That's the, the art of doing therapy. I think people don't realize that there's a lot of education, that there's a lot of education and there's ongoing education. And so we know a lot. Um, then there's the art form. There's this part about connecting and, and showing up in the room. And I think people who are who are talented therapists have that balance between authenticity and vulnerability, showing up in the room as themselves and then having the chops, right, or the skills mm -hmm. as a therapist, the knowledge to back that up, right? And, and that's hard to teach people. So you know? I, from your experience, I know you said you went through a counselor that wasn't the best for you. Um, was there anything that you experienced that wasn't helpful that maybe listeners can like maybe have in their tool belt to like look for? Yeah, I, for, you know, for me personally, um, I went and in 15 minutes, she literally took out a whiteboard and dry erasers markers and put up the DSM. I won't tell you which model it was because it uh. But she basically put on this dry race board, like all of the things that I told her 
and then why I fit this certain criteria for a certain diagnosis. And I had never, I had actually never been to therapy before. This was the first time and it had taken years to get there, right? So it was that story. And it wasn't helpful and it, and it caused a lot of harm. And um, so I think what I always tell people now is, and I tell my clients this all the time, look, try it two or three times with, with me. If I'm not the right fit, you're not hurting my feelings. Tell me and I will find you somebody great. There are so many great therapists out there. There's a lot of really crappy ones too. Yep. And it is, you know, I heard this podcast a few months ago. Someone said like trying therapy going, trying therapy is like dating. Like you have to try a lot of different therapists now to find the one that fits. And so I always tell people, interview your therapists. What model do you work in? How long have you been doing this? Who do you like working with? Because if somebody says, I love working with, you know, eight to 15 year olds and you're, you know, 40, it's not going to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. They could be the best therapist for that age group in the world. It's still not going to be a good fit. And so not being shy about, hey, this is what I, I need to do, or this is what I want to do, or I've never gone to therapy. Um, I am the worst patient ever. I hate homework. I prescribe it every single day. I love to give homework. I hate doing homework. I am the worst. And so a, ther a, a therapist that would not be a good fit for me would be somebody who continued to give me writing assignments every week because I would fail at it. You, you know, it, there, there wouldn't be room for me to be successful, um, which, you know, goes into my perfectionism and it tells you about, right, like some of my <laughs> issues I have. Um, so I think, you know, for listeners, really being comfortable saying, you know, um, this isn't the right fit for me. I'd like to try something different. You know, thank you for your time. Um, no, you know, I'll let you know if I want to make another appointment, you know, in this age of ghosting where that's acceptable, yeah. it's easy for people to not show up again. And I would challenge people to say, it, it's okay to say to somebody, you know, um, this isn't the right fit for me. That's it. It's a, it, this isn't the right fit for me. It's not personal. Yep, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's totally okay. We talked a little about trauma already, but you have the expertise. For me, it really is all about, I want people to feel not good, better. And so I want people to start to feel better. That doesn't mean they feel good or they feel, they, they don't feel discomfort, right? So. I start with with that piece of it, which is what what does better look like? Um, is that more sleep? Is that getting out of the house and, and walking around the block, getting your body to move? Is it about meditation, yoga, mindfulness, breath work? Like, what does better look like? You know, and sometimes it really isn't in the body. It starts with the mind conceptualizing what's this gonna look like, right? And so you know, we kind of paint this picture of, okay, not perfect. What would tomorrow look like if it were better and what things would have to change for it to be better? Where are those things that we can actually control? And what are the things that we can't control? Because nine times out of 10, most of it is not in our control. And I would imagine the military uh, population you work with. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they want to control everything, but I feel like most of their job is uncontrollable. <laughs> Yeah. When we when I'm working with military and active duty military, um, I, I'm one of 
a few in California um, who gets to work with uh, Tier 1 Special Forces, Special Operations teams. And, and when I'm working with, with them, there's a point where if we break down the foundation of what they're learning to do and what they are experts at doing, it's not safe. So it's really hard to say, hey, I need you to be in touch with your feelings, right? Or I need you to be aware of your body here. But then when you go down range, I'm gonna, you know, I've got to go send you somewhere, right? Now I need you to be all buttoned up again and be on hyper alert. And so it's very difficult to turn that switch on and off. So a lot of the work is not actually looking at it in, in that sense, it's saying, okay, let's add a dimmer switch instead of it being an on or an off. Let's let's create this dimmer switch so it's there when you need it. And when you're at home with your family, you're at home and you're relaxing, we can dial that down a little bit, right? So instead of this, this all or nothing type thinking of you have to be on all the time or you have to be off, because both are hard to achieve, um, going back and forth, right? It's easy to be on all the time, very difficult to turn it off. Yeah. What what would it look like if we learned how to relax? And and to go back to your, your earlier question, that is body work, right? That's like, okay, what if we took some deep breaths, right? Um, you know, what if we go and take a walk or go for a run? Or what about taking a shower? You know, when you come home and you walk through the door, taking off your uniform, putting it away in the same place, taking a shower, building in a routine, right? Getting, you know, those big deep breaths in, washing your face, right? And again, it sounds so simple and it's not. It, this is not easy. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. I wouldn't have a job. Yep. <laughs> simple concepts though. And so it really does start with that body awareness of, do you know do you notice when you're hyper vigilant or when you're on that on high alert what are you doing like some and some people are very astute and they're like well my fists are clenched my teeth are clenched you know i'm frowning um my shoulders are tight and so it's like okay um these are also trained professionals so i may not be witnessing that right so that's what's going on for them internally in their body and as an outside observer i don't see any of that so some people are very good at saying this is what's happening in my body other people are disconnected where everything shuts down my body shuts down my emotions shut down and my thinking overrides my experience right so i'm just thinking so when i say tell me where you're feeling that in your body or tell me how you're holding that in your body Sometimes I get the blank stare of like, I have no idea what you're talking about. There's yeah, that disconnect. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. So from the military people I have um, just spoken with, not in clinical practice or anything like that, just in my own personal life. Um, and you can speak to this as well, too. I just feel like there's, I don't want to say a stigma, but it's more of just like this, we have to stay numb in quotes. Like we have to kind of turn it off because, you know, having our emotions and being attuned to that would essentially get us out of focus about what needs to be worked on. So do you experience that too? Is there a way around that? Do you recommend that? 
Yeah, I, you know, that that's, it's a loaded question because I think there's really, really two different schools of thought. One is, you know, that's not healthy. Um, you know, these are human beings, not machines. And the other school of thought is, you know, if they have feelings, they being this, again, machine, right? Um, then, you know, I can't send them to war. Um, they can't do their job. And I don't know if either one is correct. I, I really don't. I think, I think there's truth to both of, both of those things. And, and so a lot of times what I'm listening to are people's um, experiences and, and what they've, what's happened to them while they've been downrange or they've been at war and they're coming back and the disconnect between the body and the emotion and even the spirituality and the moral injury that comes with that um, is so much more prevalent and heart-wrenching than the PTSD symptoms that we see on TV. Right. And so what I'm noticing is that whether people are, are sometimes on and feel it or whether they're completely shut off and numb in and anywhere in between, the response of that moral injury is this is is similar, not the same, but similar. Right. Where it's such a deep wound that that I don't know how to feel about that. Um, and I'm disconnected from that. And and. I don't think one way insulates somebody better from that moral injury piece. I think some people have different levels of resiliency, mm -hmm. right? Um, we have correlation ideas, but not causation when it comes to trauma and PTSD. And even the correlation studies are meh, they're not great. So we really, we as researchers don't know for sure why two people can experience a similar thing and one person develop PTSD and moral injury and another person doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think when, we, when we're able to answer that question, we can take a look at, okay, how do we train people to do this kind of work, right? And also still be in touch with themselves. And, and I don't know if we have a good answer for that. And it's, it's such a crappy response to a really good question. Yeah. And I, I'm sitting here too, and I don't even know the answer as well. And, um, you know, for listeners on here, like I, my significant other is part of the military. And so, um, it's definitely a real thing and I've seen it a lot. So yeah, I just, it's kind of heartbreaking, honestly, because it's like, you know, like you said, they're, it's like machines and, you know, they're trained to do this phenomenal job and do great things and help a lot of people. But then it really you know, it can become an internal thing. And and what we, again, we researchers, right, or we psychologists, what, what we know is that, believe it or not, talking about it helps. Mm -hmm. I know, shocker. And then, we, and then we have this stigma in the military, right, that, you know, if you go to behavioral health or you, you go to, you know, counseling or mental health services, that you're in some way crazy or broken, both of those in quotes. Um, so I think, you know, some of it is, really working with that is, you know, I talk to people who are brand new in the military who are going through the enlistment process. And I talk to very, very senior officers um, and everybody in between. And I one of my favorite stories is working with um, somebody very high ranking and in his calendar, he didn't want to put mental health, right? Oh. But he had to like mark out that he was going to be gone. And so he would put um, that it was, um, his emotion coach 
And so that's what he would just call me is that, you know, he had emotion coaching. It took about a year. And after a year, the, the tone changed. And then it was like, no, I go to counseling. You should all go to counseling. Everybody should go to counseling. It was really interesting, the, the shift after a year in just being able to say, this is helping me. And I think the fear is, is that, you know, you're going to go in and you're going to unpack all of this stuff and, and dump it right on the person on the other side of the room. And it makes you feel worse and it opens up wounds and it's painful. And I would say that that does happen when we don't have trauma informed therapists, right? Yep. Um, not that that doesn't happen. I think that's where, you know, finding somebody good who, who, you know, you can learn to open up and trust. And it, and it takes a few times. It's not that you're gonna trust somebody right away, right? And, and that the therapist isn't asking those, you know, soul crushing questions like in the second meeting. Right. <laughs> and so we think for military, a lot of it is, um, I have clients come in and they say, you know, I didn't even tell my spouse, you know, or my partner that I'm here. I don't want to run this through insurance. Um, are you going to take notes? Can my commanding officer contact you? So some of it is really basic psychoeducation of I can't talk to anybody without written consent. Period. I won't. That's why we have an answering service or my director answers the phone. Like, <laughs> don't talk to people without written consent. I cannot talk to your commanding officer. I don't care. Army can haul me in on a UCMJ. <laughs> violation i am a civilian i'm a true civilian yeah let, let the army lawyers have at it they cannot get your records like mm -hmm. you know so some of it is is really going through and and doing that education no we don't have to give you a diagnosis because that's the other piece is well if i have a ptsd diagnosis i can't do my job true in some sense not true in most sense and so it's like all right what if we call it abc i i don't care what do you want to call it Mm-hmm. Well, this thing that happened. Cool. Great. This thing that happened. So we don't give a diagnosis. We talk about this thing that happened. And so that's where you earlier were talking about, you know, clinicians having to be flexible, right? Yeah, I definitely agree with the trauma-informed um, kind of methodology, too. And I think that's like, that's a great question to ask, too, of your counselor when you first meet them. You know, ask their credentials ask you know what their expertise is in and you know after a few sessions I think you'll get a hint about if they're going to ask you right those soul crushing questions that are almost debilitating and I think make you go backwards in progress and I just don't think that's um, advantageous at all agreed and I'm okay and I tell clients I'm okay with people feeling anxious coming into session mm -hmm. I'm okay with them feeling a little less anxious leaving session. But if that worry, anxiety, numb, soul crushing, gut wrenching, right, your body's churning, if that's happening more than 24 hours after our session, we have a problem and I have gone way too fast. And that's on me that that's solely on me as the therapist. And so I tell my clients that, you know, I'm okay with you feeling uncomfortable for a day or two, but I'm not okay with you not being able to get out of bed. It means I pushed too hard and I need to slow down. So I'm constantly checking in, right? How was that for you? How are you doing? Does this resonate? Is this too fast? Does it, is it too much? 
you know, you get cli clients get you and, and they'll be like, oh, yes, no, <laughs> all right, I'll still, you know, the, they, they open up. And, and I think when, when we as clinicians don't push, right, and we let the process happen, which is so hard because we want everybody to feel better right now, <laughs> you know, when we, we kind of trust the way it's going to unfold, you know, clients do amazing work. And the other thing I think it was really hard for me to learn. Um, and it's still hard for me because I have these clients that I'm attached to and they're like, I'm ready to see somebody else now. <laughs> like Having to sit with that and realize that that doesn't mean that our time together wasn't good work. They're ready to go on to the next thing. And that's important, right? And that is part of, of the process for them. Um, and sometimes it's being able to say to clients, hey, I'm not, I don't think I'm doing good work. You know, how do you feel about it? They'll be honest. Clients are honest. They'll tell you. <laughs> and it's a good checking question or check out question, honestly. You know, see, yeah. see, where, see where you guys are at. You know, where can you go? What improvements can you make? Always. Yeah. And, and for me, that that it keeps me growing in my in my field um, and you know I, I am a horrible perfectionist and so one of the things that I work really hard on is making at least three mistakes a day now I make several not just three <laughs> I make a ton but really working on okay tomorrow's a new day and I get an opportunity to try it again because when I screw it up and I do and I do in therapy and I say the wrong thing or I use the wrong intervention or I, I am insensitive and clients say hey that really hurt my feelings or that was inappropriate whatever it is right I make mistakes and you know tomorrow's another day and I get an opportunity to try it again and so I work really hard at being there for myself and I learn from my clients and so wanting to give them that of just saying, hey, I am human. I'm human. Um, I miss it. I make mistakes. I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. I want to be, but I'm not. <laughs> um, and so, and it's not about me, right? So how do we work together when I'm human and I'm going to show up and I'm flawed and I'm just going to be me and, and we'll stumble through this together and I have your back, right? I'm, I'm here to provide that bottom so you won't fall. And I think that is the best gift we can give people. I think there's a, a really great quote that I always love to mention in my sessions. And it's kind of what you were just talking about. It's, you know, walking the path together. Um, and that's the job of the therapist, the clinician, whoever. Um, it's not to you know, guide the path, right? Like, hey, follow me and have your hand guiding them down the, um, that journey. Um, it's not pushing them from behind. Um, if you go down a wrong path, great. I'm going to walk it with you and it's up to you. So um, I think that's just something that, you know, any new client who's getting into counseling, remember, like they're, they're in an equal stance with you. And, you know, it's, it's for you to grow and we're going to do it together. Yeah, I love that quote. That that's it's such a profound. It's so profound when you think about about that and the power that comes with that. And so for me, being really mindful that I don't show up in um, a power based position, mm -hmm. right? That I I am just equal, and I'm a, and I'm really the observer. 
in the process. Um, not that I'm the one that holds the power. And so for me, that that's, you know, important. And so again, you know, when you're looking, talking about your, to your listeners, right, about looking for a therapist, that's a piece. Like, how do you feel when you sit with that person? If you don't feel great, probably not the right fit. Again, you know, it doesn't matter who they are and what their training is. You know, I, cool, I, I read some books. I have an, you know, a, a very long CV. That's great. I am not the best therapist for everybody, hands down. If, if you don't like somebody who's sarcastic, directive, who's going to tell you, you know, what they think, not the right therapist for everybody. Um, and so that's part of it, right, is is being able to to recognize, you know, how you feel. And, and it, it that's part of the work, too. And so sometimes a bad therapy session can, you know, is traumatic, right, and, and can be very traumatic. And sometimes you're like, ah, that's what I don't want. Okay, cool. That's what I want. It's a growing moment, honestly, like you're saying, like, that's, it's almost like a somatic therapy in itself. Like, you can listen to how your body's feeling and what, you know, what your thoughts are saying, how you're feeling, you know, what you're doing, the body language, uh, to listen if something's not right, or if it's right. And so, yeah, I mean, you're growing nonstop. And that's just another way to do it, even if it's not the perfect counselor. And then in that, when I, I mentioned at the beginning, when I first um, kind of got introduced to your work, it was through Dr. Fong's uh, YouTube video. And then I will also list this too. So if anyone wants to see, it's a great video, um, but it was addressing trauma to get to the root cause. So I kind of want to talk a little about that. Like, how do you identify trauma and then how do you get to the root cause? Yeah. So I think, you know, depending on which theoretical modality you're using, right? The answer is different. So I'll give you one that's sort of eclectic. Um, and from what just my own personal experience and what I think is I start clients with the here and now because I, I want it to be full circle. I want them to come back to the here and now and learning how to be present and and make sense of what their life is right now without the trauma being this dark rain cloud that follows you right it, and and it's just like the the example that you gave when you tell clients you know i'm on this path with you i try and put trauma there you're on this path path with this thing and you can put it off to the side it never goes away it's always a part of you right it doesn't have to shape your experience and so I, it, it really is a full circle so we start with the here and now like i said what are some of the things that you're noticing in your body, in your thinking, in your emotions that work for you. What are you noticing that are not? It isn't working for you, right? We use the I used the news or social media example, um, and so how do we start working without those behaviors, right? Can we make some behavior modifications? We can't actually work on trauma until we have a strong sense of safety and resiliency in order to, to be willing to be that vulnerable to look at our trauma. And so if I go right for that, right? Okay, tell me about the one time when you were 10 and blah, 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 uh, right? <laughs> and no one, and, and that person doesn't have the skills, right? Or, or they haven't developed a sense of resiliency yet, right? To be able to sit with it, then all I've done is just completely re-traumatize them. 
So I want to give them skills first. So I kind of, we build this foundation and then I start to, to kind of push a little bit deeper and go, okay, well, when you clench your teeth, right? What does that remind you of? When you do this thing, when you think about this thing, what does that remind you of, right? And, you know, some people will go automatically really deep to the trauma and I'm almost like trying to pull out that fishing net and throw it and it's like reel them back. No, 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 wait, you're yeah, going too fast, right? <laughs> and other people, they slowly, you know, kind of creep into it. And so um, that, you know, it, it really is about about a little bit of deep work and, and starting to, uh, to get a little bit deeper and understand a little bit more and then skills. So I'm kind of titrating between some really deep soul work and then skills, some deep soul work and skills. And so we kind of like go down this ladder together slowly and there's a foundation that we're building. So then when we come back up the ladder and we're ready to come back into the here and now, they've already shifted their mindset without necessarily even realizing it, right? Because it's been gentle and it's been with a foundation. It's not just, let me, you know, rip the scab off and we're just gonna sit in this because that it doesn't work. What do you damaging. think, yeah, what do you think then of like narrative therapies then? Because I feel like sometimes they try and, you know, tell me the story, tell me it again. Yeah. Let me repeat it back to you. Let me tell you again. What do you think about those? You know, I, Here's what I've learned because <laughs> I have a lot of different theoretical skill orientation. Wow. You know, um, people can be experts in one theory and I, some of my best teachers and, and people that I respect the most are experts in one theory. Um, they're experts in narrative and they do it really well and they understand the nuance. They can do it safely, right? Um, other people like me pick and choose different parts of theories and they go, okay, I'm going to just throw this in a bag and you know, you're going to pick your three favorite pieces and we'll see if that works. And if it doesn't, we've got other pieces. So, yeah. um, I think narrative is a really amazing tool in partnership with other things. And so for me, because I'm holistic by training, you know, I want to pair that with some body work and I want to pair that with some skills work. So I'm always wanting to put some bookends around narrative because for me, it's not my basis of training. And so I feel sometimes like it can be a runaway train for me. And so, you know, I tend to pair that with, okay, let me, let me do some somatic or some physical check-in work and then let's have some skills, that CBT, DBT, solution-focused stuff. So I feel like I can rein that back in. Um, but again, as a, as a person that likes to talk, and I am not a good homework person, um, <laughs> narrative therapy was helpful for me. Narrative and DBT were really helpful for me when I was working on my trauma. So I think, you know, again, I think it, it, it's really the skill of the clinician, right? And and narrative is something that we think of as being, oh, it's easy. We train, you know, new clinicians in narrative therapy and in no way is it easy. It can be dangerous. So being really mindful that we're not pushing clients too hard with, tell me the story, tell me again, tell me it again. Tell, now tell me it from this way, now tell me, you know. I think to ask, you know, answer your other question about how do clients or, or listeners know, um, a lot of times I'll ask people, how old do you feel right now? 
And people, you know, when you think about it, you're like, oh, I feel like I'm 15. Huh, what happened when you were 15? Oh, I've never thought of it like that before. Yeah. I'll have to ask you know, myself that question. Yeah. Or, or whose voice is that, right? That nagging, just um, chatter we have in our heads sometimes. When you stop and you're like, whose voice is it? Is it yours? And if it's yours, how old are you? Is it a coach? Is it a parent? Is, is it a partner? Is it a teacher? It's really powerful stuff. And, and in a lot of ways, that's narrative as well, right? That's ah, really cool. That story that you're telling yourself, right, is actually your high school swim coach. That's that voice. And it's like, ah, okay, interesting. I can imagine then there's a lot of uh, forgiveness or working on forgiveness at the end of it, like trauma-informed therapy. Yeah, and that looks different for people. Um, it, it, forgiveness work is really on the spiritual side. And, and for some people who do not align from a Judeo-Christian perspective, the idea of forgiveness is very difficult. It doesn't resonate. Um, it's hard when people come in and they're very tied to being victims or survivors of their traumatic experiences. And so forgiveness doesn't necessarily resonate. So. For me, it's it's more about the DBT work and the radical acceptance of it is what it is because it is. Didn't cause it, can't control it, I can't change it. So what does that mean for me right now? Because tomorrow it's gonna be something different. So in this moment right now, I can accept that it is because it is. This thing happened, right? Um, and I feel a certain way about that in this moment, and I may feel totally differently tomorrow, and you know what, all of that is okay. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, for me, my work with people is getting them there, not about having to forgive, because that that's hard. Yep. Um, for me, it feels like a lifetime ago. It doesn't even feel like it's my story, but if you asked me if I did deep forgiveness work, I would tell you no. I ended up having to do deep grief work Oh, yes. so, <laughs> what, right. And so that was the difference of, of instead of moving into forgiveness, I had to move into grief and acceptance because life changed and, and I, I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And right? I like that piece too. I like that modality better. I, I have run into the same thing with forgiveness. Cause like you said, like, just depending on the client you're talking to, maybe they just don't want to forgive because they were in this position, they went through this experience or these experiences and, you know, they, they're in no way needing to essentially. Um, so I like that, you know, more focusing on the change and what has come from the change and dealing with the emotions all attached to it. And, you know, that's grief. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. It, 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 like trauma work is grief work. It, yes. it, you can't do one without the other. Mm -hmm. um, and when we talk about military and people coming in saying, I did this thing and I'm not willing to forgive myself, forgiveness doesn't work, right? That kind of work with military isn't, isn't helpful, it's harmful. And so we work at, oh, can both be true? Can you be in the here and now and accept that it is what it is and also, right, work on um, healing yourself, right? And what would it look like? And that's really hard. It's really, it's really hard to sit with. And, 
and it takes a long time and and a lot of clients say that they don't think they'll ever move forward. What they do report though is that they feel more present. They're able to hold the space for both realities. So is that forgiveness? I don't know, right? Like I'm, I'm not 100% wow. sure. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we want to say, oh, forgive and forget. Like there's all these, you know, again, toxic positivity or all these tropes yeah. that, right? Oh, you know, like forgive and forget, time heals all wounds, you know, thank God, what, you name it. And none of that is helpful. Clients or people listening, if you're listening to this, please don't let people say that to you. Don't say that to people. Just, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. And it's just them dismissing your feelings. Like it's, they just, they don't want to deal with what you're dealing with. And so it's an easy thing for, to make themselves feel better. So yeah, never listen to those things. And if you have a therapist that says that to you, find somebody else, please. Right just, away. Just get up right and away. leave. <laughs> so, you know, I, I tend to not be, that that's not my focus. I ask clients though, because of the holistic bent, I think I ask them like, what's their spiritual sense like? Um, some people will say, I don't have one. Like, okay, let's talk about what that looks like. Other people will say, well, I'm this, and this is really important to me. And so um, in no way am, a, am I a religious therapist. So there are times where I'm saying, okay, if you went and talked to your spiritual counselor, priest, rabbi, you know, minister, whatever, right? If, if you went to talk to them, what would they tell you? So I still will bring that in and, and have them develop that sense of forgiveness if that's how they're orienting, right? Um, but a lot of times I'll have them seek out that kind of counseling where they feel safe and comfortable. And just on the topic of holistics, um, yeah. I know it's like the whole podcast, but um, <laughs> is there anything outside of counseling or therapy? You mentioned a routine earlier. Um, yeah. that you think can contribute to maybe lessening the symptoms of trauma, not ignoring them, um, but is there anything you recommend? Yeah, and it's it's super trite, right? Healthy diet, exercise, good sleep, get your water. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Meditation, yoga, breathing, apps, yes, yes, I know. It all works. Um, it's finding what, what works for you. Um, so I think I think all it all it all works and finding the right combination and knowing that one thing is not the end all be all right so um, I'm really good at starting something new if you looked at my desk you'd see that I have about 10 different journals and planners part of it is because I, I have one coming out so I've been writing one um, I also love them I travel a lot for work and so I buy books and planners in the airport bookstore oh. and then I don't use them but my favorite one that I just got is I don't know if you can if you That's want to read that. cute the title isn't appropriate it's Zena's um f fill in the blank but it is absolutely gorgeous oh wow um, it's a beautiful so it's zen f ends in k and um an amazing little teeny tiny journal that I absolutely adore because it's it's beautiful and the prompts are easy. Um, things like that, right? So I'm really good at starting something 
And then if I miss a day because I'm a perfectionist, then I don't do it anymore. So mm. what works for me is having something different every day. So, um, you know, getting out and exercising, I may be able to get a really good workout in one day and the other day, I'm. it may just be that I'm gonna go take a meeting around, while I'm on the phone and walk around the block instead of sitting at my desk. And that may be the exercise, right? Um, you know, finding something that, that you love doing, whether that's animals, nature, you know, gardening, baking, it's something that, that makes you feel calm in your body, right? And, and um, brings some, a little bit of joy, you know, whatever that looks like, it, it, it looks different. And, and for me, every day is different. So sometimes that's just, yay, I washed my hair and, and I know that sounds dumb, but some days it's, you know, took a shower, washed my hair, have my comfy, you know, comfy PJs on, and I'm going to sit on the couch and that is what I'm going to do. And that's going to be okay today. So, you know, it, whatever it is for you, right? Staying out of other people's judgments about it. Mm -hmm. And know? I think that's going to foster that resilience you were talking about earlier, like picking mm -hmm. stuff that you like, that's, you know, strength-based and um, that's going to help overall get you through it. Um, well, I wanted to start to wrap up a little, um, but I wanted to ask, you know, what are some final takeaways or things you want the listeners to uh, remember from today's episode? Yeah, I think, you know, like we keep coming back to, right, there, there's the right therapist for everybody. And so finding the right person. Um, skills for me right now, my favorite one is I have sticky notes everywhere. Um, and I love, so I love sticky notes. I love quotes and acronyms. So the one um, that is on my computer is WAIT, which I, I stole from my um, amazing director, but it is WAIT. Why am I talking? It's my favorite one these days. Why am I talking? Oh. There are times when I'm not 100% sure. Um, so I love that skill of of putting reminders, mantras, acronyms on on sticky notes. Um, so that's my favorite one. And like I said, I love journals. I have there are there are several of them. Um, my um, my journal is a trauma journal. I'm hoping it'll be out in December, January, fingers crossed. Um, it's in conjunction with Switch Research, which is out of British Columbia, uh, and it's a skills-based journal. So I'm, I really like skills. There are so many amazing products. There are free apps. Um, if you look at DBT Coach, CPT, CBDT, um, EMDR, I mean, there, there's apps for everything. Um, there's one that I um, just discovered called the uh, Mission Joy and the Joy Project out of UCSF, which is a free, it takes seven minutes a day. Um, it's a free study, research study that they're doing out of UCSF that's worldwide and in, incredible, the work that they're doing. So there is stuff out there. There's something for everybody. There's workbooks on Amazon. Um, they're free YouTubes. Ted Ed has amazing explainer videos. Um, th there's so much stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, I think it's pick something and start with it. And if you don't like it, it doesn't mean it doesn't work. Try a different theory, 
right? If you don't like thought stopping and CB, you know, CBT, try something else. You don't like sitting and doing mindfulness meditations, try something else. Like there's so many things, right? So just picking something and trying it and, um, and creating that routine and awareness starts to help, you know, and, and if, you know, you need the therapeutic support, having a good therapist or counselor. Absolutely. Um, and then do you want to just share a little about where uh, listeners can find you, uh, get this journal that you're working on? Sure. Thanks for asking. So it's my name. I know you'll put it all in the show notes and it'll, it'll all be up there and on our socials. Um, so connect with us on, on, or on all the platforms. Um, and if you follow our Instagram, it's, um, my name and i know it'll be in your show notes it's it's quite long um but it's the official joelle trauma therapy on instagram every day we have multiple posts that are skills based posts so they're all psychoeducation informative and so all the skills that we've talked about today and skills not just for trauma but for anxiety thought stopping we did a post recently about ocd um we do stuff about perfectionism, you name it. So we have a lot of stuff out there and um, follow along. It's, it's free skills. So not going to hurt, <laughs> not going to hurt. Yeah. And let us know, send me an email, a DM, something like, Hey, I heard you, you know, in the show, we always have free gifts, gifts for listeners. So send us a, a little note and say, you listen to the show and we'll send you a, a downloadable journal or something else that we have so yeah free incentives free incentives yeah <laughs> yay well um like i said thank you for being on the show today thank you for all your expertise and sharing all the great recommendations it was great to have you today thanks so much for having me and keep up the good work it's 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 a lot <laughs> it is a lot um but it's okay. I think you got to be in this uh, field if you're like a lifelong learner, I think. So it sounds like, I mean, you're on the right path. I think I'm getting there. I'm still learning, <laughs> but we're all I'm still learning too. Yeah. Um, and then I just want to thank everyone today to close out. Thank you for listening um, and everyone who's been following along. If you are interested, um, subscribe, follow the podcast. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Google Podcasts now. You can follow my Instagram. It's at holistic underscore healing LC. I have the website attached. I have the Gmail attached as well. Um, I do wellness sessions. I do tarot readings. I do palm readings. Um, and then if you want to be a guest on uh, the Holistic Healers podcast, feel free to DM me as well. And I'd love to talk about your experience and what you've been through. Um, but yeah, thank you again for being here. Thanks so much. All right. Talk to you soon, everyone. Bye.